Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Todd and Taylor Show. I am Todd A., and you are... I'm Taylor Trask. Uh, And in in addition to, we always talk about how we need a way to just, like, we never talk off air about how do we wrap up a podcast. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we should really nail down that intro, because I always feel like I pause, and then I always say something else, so you never know what the cue is going to be to say your name. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I was going to, and what's funny about that is I was, one of these times I've been meaning to like, to, to throw you off by doing like the, I'm Taylor Trask, like do a oh, question great. mark just to see if you notice it. <laughs> uh, like did, well, it's funny too. Cause like we just, you and I just chatted off air for like an hour. <laughs> it's like, we can't. Yeah, ridiculous. We, we should have just recorded that. Um, I don't know if you heard it. Uh, I think we've talked about Horace and Pete off air also, but um Mark Marin had this great episode with Louis CK where he talked about Horace and Pete and they talked they told this story about how Louis told him about the show like before it ever broadcast they had like a whole hour long conversation and even before they started that Mark said can I record this and Louis said no 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 don't record it we're keeping this secret uh, wow. <laughs> and, then, and so then when they finally do catch up both of them are like we were such idiots we should have just recorded <laughs> it and then you would have had this awesome promo that runs like you know right in the middle of the season or something it's not like you had to air it right away to give up yeah the yeah they didn't do it they caught up months later so well it's always the stuff that you never intend you know it's like it's like the the best photo the, the best camera for, for you know photography is the camera that's with you it's yep. like you know the best podcast is one that you recorded yeah <laughs> like, it's, it's the one you remember to hit record on I yeah was verifying that i'd done that so anyway as our intro music should have told you we are talking about our new favorite obsession, which is Stranger Things Stranger on Netflix. Things. And I'm just going to come out right out and say it. I said this on a previous podcast. I think it was Wednesday in Westeros. This summer of 2016 is the first time where the movie slate has been really disappointing and the TV slate has been unbelievable. Like, I have been 10 times more excited and enthralled with what I've seen released on the TV side than I have anything anything that's been in the theaters up to date, you know, up till now. And I can even give you historical reference for that because I went back and listened to several of our old podcasts from last year. And last year you said, uh, you qualified it a little bit, but you said, I think Game of Thrones might be the thing that makes me start forgetting about summer movies. And you Did I say that last year? Yeah, but you weren't weren't all in. Mm -hmm. And this summer during Wednesday and Westeros, you were like, I'm all in. Like Game of Thrones is, I'm anticipating Game of Thrones, more than I'm anticipating summer movies, yeah. and now Stranger Things, I feel exactly the same way. My weekend was I saw Suicide Squad, and and the same night started watching Stranger Things. The next day, watched six hours of it and finished <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> and then it is Monday, and we are talking about Stranger Things. Yeah. So it totally obliterated the huge summer movie that I saw. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which it, was... Infinitely more expensive, I'm sure, and fraught with, oh, you know, man. you read some of the, and not that this is a Suicide Squad podcast, but you read some of the, the, you know, rumored, you know, backstories and stuff. And this, it was just all like, you know, and any political faction in the studio competing for creative control and their own vision. And like, it just became this muddled mess. Whereas, and I'll make this, you know, it, it, it's pretty obvious why this sort of turn has happened. You look at like Game of Thrones, you look at Game of Thrones, you know, show run and mostly written by the same two guys who have, you know, HBO's there in a studio capacity to make sure they're reined in, but they let those guys do their thing. Stranger Things, yeah. like written and directed basically by the same two guys, like they let Netflix let them do their thing. And more interesting, 
I don't correct me if I'm wrong. Did Netflix even tease this at all? Or did it just basically go, hey, here it is. Like I remember like the when it, it came out like a Friday or Saturday a couple weeks ago. Yep. And I remember seeing one thing in Vox earlier that week going, Stranger Things is like a Spielberg send-up. To the point where I thought, oh, did Steven Spielberg direct it? And like that was the only thing yeah. I saw. And then it was out, and then everybody was talking about it. Yeah, I later heard about a trailer for it. I never ended up seeing that trailer because mm -hmm. I had that same experience. Like Friday, on a, it literally was like a Friday. It mm -hmm. appeared at the top of my Netflix app, and I, I saw the still image, um, read whatever you know totally vague description they had, saw a yeah. Rider's name, and put plus my list <laughs> right there. Like I didn't even think about I'll it. Add this this and, looks interesting for later. And it also goes back to, I mean, just your first comment goes back to what we have talked about from episode zero of season zero way long ago, uh, a year ago, um, that uh, we just love this Netflix model. And I could, I, was, I mean, as much as we liked Game of Thrones this season, as much as it uh, helped our podcast to have new material coming every <laughs> week, <laughs> yeah. um, Stranger Things was that perfect Oh, it was just such a perfect package. Yeah. You know, and I, I know when I was like five episodes in, I thought, thank God I don't have to wait a week to see yeah. what happens. You say that, but here's the interesting thing. This is the first show of, on any network, you know, any bingeable show, where I definitely wanted to, to, to get to the next episode, but each episode was so packed and yeah. so immaculately like edited and, and set and timed that I would finish an episode – and in fact, in episode two, this happened like about halfway through episode two, Rachel, my girlfriend comes in and she's like, Hey, which episode is this? I'm like, I don't know, four or five or something. Not even, I had to look I'm like, Dude, Oh God, this is still two. I like had the <laughs> same experience yesterday when, when I'm, when I was like on episode four or five, I was thinking like, yeah, I only got like an hour left. Yeah. Yeah. And then and I'm it's like, like, Holy crap. I got four more hours and, left. And it was, and it was such where I'm like, I can stop for the night and feel in, in, perfectly satisfied and not you know i want to keep going but like i need to like i need to take a breather because this is so like literally every episode was its own movie that could have existed as like a standalone movie you know like that we oh yeah they collected over the course of three years and then added it together so it, i just can't they raise the bar in so many ways with the stand oh series and then so, again the fact oh go ahead yeah. let, let me let me just get a uh like a technical question out of the way how yes. did you watch it like like you know, how many days did it take you to get through it? What was your schedule of watching? When did when did you watch it? I started poking at it last week. I watched okay. um, I watched the first episode with knowing that I wouldn't be able to watch anything more on Monday night, and was like, "Ooh, I like this." Then I think I watched episode two uh, the next night with a little of three, and then I just finished the entire rest of it Friday. Like I'm okay. like, I got, I've got to like. Uh, at that point, I'm like, damn it! Now I gotta just, I just got because I knew if I didn't, I wouldn't have had had time, and I just, so I just yeah. cruised through the rest of it. And you know, it was, it was, it was just as satisfying to binge it as to not. But it was, I don't know, I just was curious that it was the whole thing just was this beautiful package. How about you? What, what was your? Uh... Well, so, so I watched those two episodes with the friends that I, that I saw Suicide Squad with. Okay. Um, we. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd been hanging out all day, and so it was later, much later at night when we watched mm -hmm. Strange Things. Um, we started episode three, and there was this, like, realization among all of us, like, you know, if we start episode three, 
we're going to start episode four. <laughs> we're in at that point. And, you know, and we've we've been hanging out for like <laughs> twelve hours today. <laughs> and two of the friends thought, you know, that it was a couple, and they were they were like, we got to go home. And yeah. that that to me was like, okay, that's that's my sign. I I got to yeah, go yeah, too. Yeah. So I really did think. I'm gonna go home and then I'm gonna start this. It's gonna be midnight and I'm gonna I'm gonna stay up till dawn watching it. <laughs> Luckily, resisted that urge. So I did see the opening scene of three. Okay. Um, you know, so then Sunday, the very next day, I had to go back yesterday and rewatch three and watch the the you know the next <laughs> five hours, six hours. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was two days for me, but I do think, um, and for 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 one thing, if you're Listening to this podcast in, and your your thought is, uh, I, you know, you haven't yet watched Stranger Things. Um, we are going to spoil like we do the ever loving uh, hell out of it, the ever loving yes. shit out of it. Yeah, but right now you're safe. We'll yes. maybe we'll do a spoilers thing before we do it. I would almost suggest watch two episodes a night. Yes, yes, you can tolerate it, or at least, I. The thing is, once you hit five. It is like a roller coaster, and yeah. I don't know how you're going to stop. Yeah. But yep. there was a moment like where it got really late last night when I was watching, and I thought, and I and I kind of wished, you know what? I know I couldn't have stopped on the last episode, but if I had stopped on the episode before that, I would have been okay. So yeah. really, yeah. yeah, watch maybe two two a night if you want, and then you've got a freaking awesome week of like where every night you're going to watch the best sci-fi movie from the 80s you've ever seen treat it like treat it like back in the 80s when your parents used to watch the thorn birds as like a mini series on nbc like over the course of like four nights or roots or like one of those things treat it like that um yeah. or or more contemporary to those you know maybe not um when hallmark used to run their like mini series too like there was always yeah mini series that's such a great uh expression for it or or if you're watching it the other thing is like i do think I did start watching before the sun went down yesterday, mm-hmm. and it was definitely creepier after the sun went down. Yeah, so it was like, yeah. I think that the two a night, maybe three a night, you're at least getting do it after you know after dark. Yeah, um, yeah. Even though we'll talk about it later, one of the great creepy things about this is how creepy it is in broad daylight. Yes, it yes. Is not. Um, but before I get to that, I thought you know in our notes I said it's probably best for me to lead this off because of of so many things that you have talked about on our podcast this seemed to zero in on some of your likes <laughs> in such an amazing like i i was just like well this is just made for taylor to watch <laughs> like it's 80s movies yeah. it's got all yeah. this mis- mysterious lost kind of stuff yep um, uh, we're getting in spoiler territory here. I know at some let's point. Just, let's just put up the disclaimer right, right now. Here it comes. If this, if this point, after this. we'll see you later if you haven't watched it. Come yeah, on back, come pick back. up here. Um, but if you have watched it, or if you you feel you're okay and just want to, or you're like you want to be sold on this series, keep on listening. We'll hang <laughs> with us for the next however long. I'm sure we'll go. Yeah, watch. we'll say something terrible and then you'll go. Oh shit. Um, yeah, yeah. We're gonna try. I mean, we'll talk about plot m- later, but we'll definitely spoil elements, and which is one of them. I was gonna say was like there's you know the monster element is very lost, kind of mm, the like yeah, weird yeah. thing. And then to me, and I know it's all the '80s references. But there was this old joke from one of the cast of X Files, or maybe it was even Chris Carter, where they had this joke where it's a uh, uh, you know Mulder spouting every episode of the X Files is um, is uh, Scully saying the you know one phrase she always said about like doubting Mulder, and then mm-hmm. a bunch of flashlight scenes. 
Um, <laughs> and this did flashlight scenes <laughs> in a way, like I was like, these are the greatest flashlight scenes since E.T. Yes. and Close Encounters. You know, yes. I mean, which was were obviously touchstones. But anyway, I thought this zeroed in on your interests. Did you feel that like from the get-go, like first, as, as soon as the first episode started, were you like, yep, I'm in? Well, here's the deal. So I saw that sort of article and, and got confused because I'm like, did, did Steven Spielberg right. direct this or produce this? Like, it wasn't clear to me. I actually had a, during episode one, I had to whip open Wikipedia and be like, who, what is, what is the deal with this? And once I sorted that out, I was like, oh, okay. And then I started paying attention to all the little, like, details, right? And you could, like, from episode one, you could tell these guys are like, we love the 80s more than anybody else. And we're going to like, we're going to homage the shit out of everything. Like, and there's even, I'm sure there's blog posts now that take like freeze frame stills and compare them to 80s movies and like, oh, I've watched and them. show you like, yeah. I'm like, there's, I mean, everything from, you know, like, and then even like the fact that, you know, there's the Martha Plimpton character and Barb, you know, from oh Goonies, like she's oh in there, like yeah. everything. And the fact that the, that the cop and I, God help me. I can't remember his name in the, in the show. Cop, yeah, he's got the Indiana Jones hat, more or less. Like the whole, like everything, you could tell that they. Well, oh, oh, he's got the Jaws hat, man. Oh, my bad. Sorry, I just, I, yeah. I, I knew it was some kind of Spielbergian thing. And so at first, yeah. I'm like, um, there's this, there's this kind of weird thing in my mind where I'm like, all right, it, it, he didn't direct it. This is clearly, a, you know, love letter to that entire era. Now, are they? Is it going to be too much? Is it going to be distracting? And by the end of episode one, I'm like, nope. It it is exactly perfect. They they found that balance, and they filmed it like, you know, I, I'm sure they labored a lot over. Do we put a lot of film grain, or do we, you know, try to put the '80s sort of vibe? And they it was weird, like the texture of the, you know, you can tell like they shot it on digital, and then they kind of, you know, did after, you know, they post they posted it in color and stuff. And there's a little bit of grain to it, but they kind of held back so that it still has a modern sensibility. Um, both in the color correction and then just, I'm getting really technical, the color correction and the editing. And like it has, it still feels like it is, it's made today, even though it, it heavily, heavily yeah. homages that time, which I really appreciated. I'm like, they could have gone a hundred percent and been like, this is like, you know, you could have found this in some VHS store in 84 if they had really wanted to go that way. But they, they held back just enough to be like, we're, you know, it's going to feel, it's going to feel like it's from them, but it's going to have that new sheen. Um, that I, I really dug and I just dug how they found that balance and they really, they really delved in and they, and they found a balance that served the story that wasn't just look at all these eighties yeah. references. It was like, oh, look at this yeah. killer story that just happens to be told in this language that you're really used to. I, that, that is, I think the most important point. If for some reason anyone is listening who has not watched this yet, it, don't for a second think that this is like. Uh, uh, you know, a, a, a bunch of in-joke, tongue-in-cheek sort of corny references to the '80s. It's not scary this movie. Is, it's not. It's not that exactly. You know, genre. And it's, yeah, it's not that '70s show where it's like yeah. a parody yeah. of itself. It's this is it's set in like the the '80s are a character in this film, like yes. New York is a character in the Ghostbusters, the original yes. Ghostbusters. Like yes. it, this is that that's just where it had to take place. I mean, and. And what the other thing you said was, it, it, first of all, it never goes over the line, and it keeps that tone up from the first minute yep. to the last minute. Yep. I mean, it is just perfect. I don't understand how the, these guys make <laughs> one movie and four episodes of some other show, and then yeah. they make this. Yeah. 
I, you could tell this, this must, I, and I really want to know if this is true, but this must have been a passion project for them where they're like, okay, this is something we want to do. And I give, good Lord, give Netflix all the credit in the world for finding this, this, bro and I think they're twins too, the, the brothers who, uh, who write and direct and show run, like finding these guys, giving them the budget to do this show, which when you really think about it, the budget wasn't crazy. This was not a Game of Thrones budget show. Like if you really step back and go, okay, they're at these locations, you know, there weren't a ton of special effects. I mean, there were some, and a lot of them are practical, um, you know, yeah. and at the very, very end, they, you could tell they were like, oh, here's our special effects budget. But like a lot of it was very, you know, it was very restrained and it worked so, you know, just it, it literally had the same rules and constraints that any movie circa 1984 would have had. And, you know? Oh, man, that's such a good point. And some of that, too, I went in thinking, you know what? I bet it's going to, like, it's all the human stuff's going to look great, mm. and they're going to get to the part where they have to have some big reveal, yeah. and it's going to look terrible. Yeah. And it never did. No. And even in uh -huh. that first episode, when they see the gate, mm -hmm. it's it's like, like, that put you on notice. Like, holy shit, the yeah. stakes are huge, yeah. and they're not messing around with this effects budget. You no, know, like this no. is, it was so good. So <laughs> and they knew how to design, like whoever was their, their concept artist for all this stuff, like really oh nailed God. it. Like it was stuff that you, you, you really, I like your comparison to loss because that is, it, it, it was that sort of back before you knew what the smoke monster was and back before you knew who Jacob was right. and all that bullshit. Like, like there was an element in loss where you're like, man, what it's what you weren't seeing that was so compelling and interesting. And this, this show really milked that for as long as it could and really sort of set that stage for like, what the hell, what is all this? Like, and that's, and it's that same thing you see in ET. It's the same thing you see in close encounters or any of those John Carpenter, like scary movies. Like it was that, you know, that just that, that sense of like, what could it be? Like what, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Um, yeah. You know, well, what you is it really? On something that is a huge theme in eighties movies that was always done. You, you kind of guess for budget reasons, which is, mm -hmm you're not seeing the thing that everyone's yeah. scared of, you know? And, and it, it uh, I think Spielberg himself kind of stumbled on that formula. I know I've read interviews where he talked about in Jaws, they just couldn't afford to show you the shark all that much. Like yeah. it didn't really work very well. The mechanical one they had, yeah, they couldn't do a lot of after effects with it. So, you know, they, they learned, he learned to make things scary by not showing you, all the details, yep. and that carried over for certain into you know ET and Close Encounters, and um, this show resurrects that in such a perfect way. Like I, I'm going like, oh my god, the shows that could learn from this, you yeah, know? yeah. And like uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, for as much as you know, we love certain episodes of it and are frustrated by other episodes. I think it a lot of it centers around that. It's like what they're showing versus what they're withholding. And yeah, Stranger Things just had that that perfect balance of being afraid of uh, what you can't see. Yeah, but um, yeah. But, but, I was gonna I'll, say, yeah, I don't even know how to get into the. Let me, let, you you take it away right here. I was just gonna say, we'll make one more point on that. This this the lessons for other and and the the one bad thing about this is now a lot of networks or creators are gonna ape this for all the wrong reasons. They're gonna be like, oh, everybody. Right. I mean, there's gonna be a, there's gonna be that slew of shows now that's like, oh, but people love the '80s. Let's do that, and not really understand the re like why that was interesting or why you know this was the first show to really just do it. Like, and now it's like you know yeah. we hadn't seen that for so long. I really feel like 
what was it, five or six years ago, or maybe a little sooner than that, Kevin Spacey made this this speech that's been much, you know, much quoted, and you can find it on YouTube or any, I mean, there's any number of places you can find the speech he gave. I think it was to like the Television Critics Association or something like that, where he, a House of Cards had just started, had just come off its first season, and he was, he gave this spiel about like how studios and TV needs to operate, and, and, and basically summed it up by saying, bet on the creatives, like bet on the people with a vision and an understanding of the medium. And and it looks like, it, it was almost like Netflix watched that speech and went, okay, and just like pushed all its poker chips Such onto that. Part onto that speech and like and and Netflix is the one who kind of started it all not not in the in sense of these kinds of shows but but gave you know HBO for all its credit you know it it did it has ushered in these kinds of shows and it was really good but I think HBO put you know was still kind of in that more conservative posture for a lot of the 2000s you know whereas netflix is like here's your budget here's your thing it's almost like a record label of all like back in the 60s yeah. and 70s like when mo austin ran whatever warner brothers or whatever it was like <laughs> it was like go off here's your money go off and do your thing and when you're done come back and we'll market and put it out and like that that seems to be netflix's like deal it's like go off and do your thing and you know we'll we'll let you know if we don't you know if we disagree or something but just you know bring it back and this now if well, it, I, I'll pick up on that because uh, one of the things that is so risky about HBO is, you know, they're putting in, and let me put a huge grain of salt here, which is, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't know anything about the business. I just consume it. But, you know, they put all their money into making, say, a whole season of Game of Thrones. They make all that at once. Yeah. But then they release it every week, so they're almost vulnerable, more vulnerable yeah. to criticism Yep, and last season five was such a perfect example of that, where tons of people just dropped off and said, "Fuck you, I'm never watching this again." Yeah, and I didn't watch it week to week after the Sansa rape occurred, as we all know, and yep. stuff like that. So, if Netflix has has figured out, uh, not only do we, you know, do we need to trust the creatives, but we need to put it all out so that it can all be judged as a piece. Yes. And great not point, as, a, as a, a serialized thing. Because to me, that's what's sort of broken about the TV system is, um, you know, something else we've talked about, which is, you know, uh, the old TV model is they, they might change week to week to respond to the audience, which yeah. is in itself not trusting your creatives. Yep. So, yep. And we've, we talk at length about the Image Comics model, um, where the creatives are in charge, and they basically have to sell their books. Creative uh, image is really in it to make the books. Yeah. And the, the creatives have to do everything else. Um, you know, and, and image helps with the marketing, but they're creator owned and creator sold basically. Yeah. And yeah. I'll throw another one in, which is FX Network. They figured this out several years ago, and that's their model for, uh, you know, all those sitcoms like the the Louis C.K. Show and um, the Americans uh, and. I don't know. I don't know too much about that one, but I know um, Always Sunny and like the uh, you know Zach Galifianakis show that Louis C.K. is doing, uh, Baskets and stuff like that. They say, "What's your budget for the season?" You know, they like the pitch or they don't like the pitch. Mm -hmm. They give them the budget for the season, and then it's up to the creators to go hire everyone and pay yeah. out the whole season on that budget. So if if Louis' show does terribly, FX is really only out. You know, like a small budget. Like, yeah, yeah. But if it does well, they all benefit. Yeah. So they're they're it's in their everyone's best interest to bet on the creatives. I love that point. I'm so glad you brought that up because I I remember that Spacey speech from years ago, but I've mm -hmm. never watched it in full. And 
Oh, it's mm-hmm. so good. I anybody listening and you you too, go when you're done yeah. listening to this or pause this, go watch that. And you will have a whole new appreciation for Netflix's approach to, to Stranger Things. And you're just like, Jesus, this is literally I, I mean, I, I I imagine somewhere Kevin Spacey is like, you know, in some, you know, penthouse apartment with you know his little Chardonnay, whatever, like watching this or just like knowing that this came out nodding, go, Yep, see, that's that's what I'm talking about. Right well, there. And so to get let's let's start jumping into specifics mm. here. And yes. one of the things that, that speaks to the point you brought up, which I and and what we've been talking about just now, I, what I love so much about this show, and what I think all you know, worse TV and movies can learn from it, is um, how every character got a piece of knowledge about mm-hmm. the mystery. Yep. And the suspense was not just based on not seeing what the monster is or not knowing what's going to happen from that, mm-hmm. but the suspense was, oh my God, all of you need to talk to each other. Yeah, yes. And there yes. were such great moments where like, you know, Jonathan confronts Nancy, like Jonathan doesn't believe his mother has seen this faceless creature come out of the wall, and then he, and then Nancy says something about, I saw something, and there's that moment in the school hallway where they, where he's, you know, they're like, they keep getting closer and it keeps getting closer on their faces as they're having this conversation. And then mm-hmm. he's like, and it had no face. And she's like, Oh my God, how'd you know that? And I just, the chills that went down my body when they said that, because that never happens in movies and TV. Yeah. People yeah. always withhold information that other characters need to know and they don't collaborate. And it's like, to me, that's not mystery. That's not suspense. Like that's just screwing over your audience with this. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Human beings wouldn't act that way. Like if you knew some mysterious thing and I knew some mysterious thing and they were happening together, we would go, hey, wait a second, let's compare notes on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so to me, that was such a, a big point. Um, and then the other thing that I, I you know, tweeted out as I was watching it, which was every single character had an arc. Yeah. Like they all started in one place they went through a change and they ended up in another place. I mean, you might say that like uh, Nancy and and Mike's dad didn't have an arc, which I would accept. <laughs> but even the little girl did. <laughs> like yeah. even the girl saw some shit happen. Though. Yeah. And mom for certain had an. I mean, had an arc. Um, uh, that was Cara Buono, by the way, and she oh, is was awesome it? as uh, Doctor Faye in Mad Men, which I. Like I just, wondered who that was. I'm like, she looks so familiar. Like, who is this? And I saw her name. Familiar, in the but totally different. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so, that but I mean, awesome. I was just, I just watching those kids go through stuff. I'm going, holy shit! Like, killing joke writers. This is a character arc. Yes, <laughs> you yes. You know, like Game of Thrones writers. This is a character arc. Like, and it don't was just... one, one. It was one that was satisfying for this story, but also lead, it gives you so much more if they do a season two. Which is, I hate for the umpteenth time. I'm gonna go back to Carnival. That's and I, there were several times watching this where I'm like, oh my god, this reminds me of Carnival. Oh my god, this is like it, they treated their characters with as much care and attention and nuance that Carnival does. So that, that I really had a lot of sort of like. Oh God, that that's what I loved about Carnival. And I started kind of in my mind dissecting those things as I was, you know, in between episodes or you know, even watching an episode. Just it had that sensibility to it. Yeah. And you you really, as an audience member, something happens in your head when that care is given to those characters. Oh my God, yes. You know, it's like something, ha- and you just your 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 brain shifts 
in in that story moment where you're just like, oh man, you don't you don't even notice it happens, but then when it's over, you're like, why did I love this so much more? And it's really that it is that attention and that like these people, you know, for better or worse, and and like you like you said, Mike's dad is probably the only one who, and maybe we'll learn Mike's dad's story next season. He's got you know maybe he's the He's behind it all, you know, so, <laughs> as we find out. Um, he's the one, like, they'll do that little, like, you know, Marvel stinger where it's, like, him and he's going to – he'll we'll walk into his office as, like, a little viral video and he'll have, like, all these diagrams and shit, like, up on the wall. I'm like, I know, I know what happened to, to, to L, and he'll, you know, he and Mike well, are talking about it. You know, in in one way that was they were such, like, 80s movies parents, but, again, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not, like, in a tropey – uh, hackneyed way or something. Yeah, I, you know, it's like we got like you know I, I I'm sure I'm misremembering this a little bit, but it I really think that it's in uh, 16 Candles where the dad just totally ignores Molly Ringwald. Like he's he could not be more oblivious that it's her birthday, you know. And that was almost the dad from Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And the mom, but you know, uh, I cannot remember her mom's name. I only remember uh, Cara Buono now. But um, she. Like I just felt like she went through that same journey with Nancy. Like she went on her own little journey with, with her daughter. You know, mm-hmm. um, in in it was so much more depth than '80s parents had, and honestly, I think that's what what gives it a lot of its heart was mm-hmm. that the parents and the kids went through stuff. I mean, just watching Winona just get like torn apart, or Joyce. That was that's her character. Joyce, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I. <laughs> I almost feel like a breathless talking about this. I know. It, this is like, this show is like a nice, like, Lamborghini that we have to, like, walk around and touch and, like, not rub to, you know, not get, not get know. our fingerprints on it. And then, like, you know, then once we've, like, walked around it a few times, we can, like, open the door and, and gently get inside and marvel at, like, ooh, ah, you know? Well, more that some, so for more of that marveling, one of the things I do when I'm watching movies that, like, distracts me like crazy is I'm, I, especially because I think of this with our criticism of Game of Thrones, um, where uh, certain moments get like, you know, we've, we've, we'll criticize it like, oh, and just nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And there really is something to that where you're trying to figure out like your, your brain watching, you know, a creative piece of work, you're going, okay, is there a message in here? I mean, this is why there's so many conspiracy theories about Game of Thrones because you're going, mm-hmm. surely they didn't just show two characters you know, sitting in the wilderness for 20 minutes. Like, well, yeah. what is the message here? What can we read into this? Yeah. Um, and I saw the new Star Trek last weekend, which we'll talk about probably in another episode, but there were, for for time's sake, you know, to keep the movie moving briskly, there were places where you felt like, I am sure they cut out some exposition there. Yeah, And they yeah. kind of cover it with, yeah. like, you know, a bunch of movement and someone yelling something like, you know, we've got to get the other, you know, antenna up. And you're like, what? Like, why yeah. do you know you have to do that? You know, where yeah, you're like, yeah. how do, when, when did you sit down and figure out the science behind this? You know what? That's um, starting, that kind of shit starting to really bug. Maybe, maybe this is the shift for me. That shift, S-H-I-F-T, that yeah. is um, starting to bug me in movies now where I'm like this 90, and I was even talking to a screenwriter the other night. Um, he's, you know, he's in California. He's, you know, he's actually in school to become a screenwriter. But I'm like the 90 minute, you know, because most movies give or take are 90 minutes. Well, and it's, I, I think you're getting on to some, because to me, most movies nowadays are two plus hours. Fair enough, but that's but fair I, enough. But, but that I think arc, your point is like if they were ninety minutes, I would forgive those things. Uh, no, I mean that maybe I, I just I feel like that 
90 minute to two hour, you know, sort of, cause that's another what, 30 minutes when you add in credits. Yeah. That 90 minutes to two hour sort of time frame. It just, I don't know if that's enough time to tell a story anymore, especially when you bring in like, like on the, the, the rare exception is like Ex Machina, which you saw and loved. Yeah. And I kicked myself for not seeing that in the theaters. Ex Machina though, when you really look at it could have been a killer 10 episode series on, uh, a, you know, uh, uh, A&E or, you know, whatever, or HBO, like that could have been like Ex Machina. Like what we saw as a movie almost feels like it was a supercut of what was a, a killer, like five episode miniseries or something like, you know, it's, it felt like there was so much there. And what we saw was like just a glimpse at that, but that was okay. Cause they had the space and there was just, you know, three characters essentially. And they could tell the story. Well, I think there's a weird thing that shifted in the past couple decades, which is, we think of a movie as like a condensed novel. Yeah. And in actuality, a movie is more like an expanded short story. That, that's, it, like, ooh, you know what? That's a great Ex point. Machina yeah, to yeah, me yeah. is like, uh, it's like, it's just one of the stories you would find in an Isaac Asimov collection of that is sci-fi stories. That is a much better way to explain it. Because I'm even so thinking. They, they expanded it to make a movie, but, but Stranger Things is a novel. You know, yeah, it's like, that's how yeah, long it yeah, takes yeah. to tell a novel story. What I'm even thinking too, like, so go back to the eighties again, back to the yeah. future um, is always held up as like the perfect, you know, one of the perfect movies. It's just like a perfect little, right, like everything like about screenwriting, like everything, act, like everything. And it's an yeah. action comedy, sci-fi. Like it's, it's got, yeah. but it is itself. I think, I mean, I don't, I need to Google how long it actually is. Um, I bet it's barely over 90 minutes. If that. Probably. Let me just look. It is do, 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 while I while I look. Um, I'll look but, for it while you say something. Well, so well, so pontificate. One hundred and sixteen minutes. Um, so you know, so almost minutes. two hours. Yeah. Okay. Almost two hours, but it it's so perfect, and the, nothing feels wasted, right? right? Like nothing feels like, and everything, and it doesn't feel like there's all this inferred story that we never got to see. To your right, point, right, and I feel yeah. like ninety yeah. percent of the movies action-oriented movies, whether it be Da Vinci Code or whatever, I, I feel like that is an increasing problem where there's like so much story left off the table that it's like, what are we seeing? Like we, we have to strain whatever, uh, the, the suspension of disbelief so much that it's like, I, just why couldn't you just make the movie 15 minutes longer and give us that, that bit? You know? <laughs> Whereas I think, why can't you make it 30 minutes shorter and not tell this other part of the like or, or that um, that works too. That's to me, point. you know, I mean, when I think of these big action movie pieces, um, Lord of the Rings are probably a good uh, example of what I'm talking about. But Pacific Rim kind of jumps out for some reason. They always sort of have like two big battle endings. Yeah, you know, it's like there's a yeah. huge battle that would have been the climax in a movie 30 years ago and they just would have had an act three afterwards. Yeah. And now it's like, no, that's just the setup. The big battle is going to happen after this. It's you interesting. Know? You, uh, it's interesting. You, you compare stranger things to a novel. Cause the other thing that I kept doing the entire time, you know, in addition to being like, Oh, this reminds me of carnival. This reminded me of like an awesome Stephen King book that yeah. I would have. And I kept, well, the episodes mind, are called chapter. Well, that too, and then obviously the font for the you know the title yeah. card is a Stephen Kingish font, and like yeah. you know, there's just, um, but like as there was a lot of times I, I felt myself watching it going in my head, seeing like how it would like lay out on the page, like in novel form. I'm like, oh man, this is how this would be. And then the next thing I thought of immediately was, oh my god, give these guys freaking Doctor Sleep to adapt 
to a movie or TV <laughs> show because I don't trust anybody after this with that story because they they just understood they understood like everything so well they understood that format so well I really want to know how I, those guys can't be that much older than me they are I mean, 32 so they would have been I mean they wouldn't have been but two when you know Back to the Future itself came out but they would have been alive for the rest of, you know they would have been like little kids for the rest of the they're 80s. not 80s kids yeah. you know I mean, I would. I'm sure they knew they were surrounded by that stuff, but yeah. you know, I mean, when you think like, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> give too much away, but I am older than they are, <laughs> and I, you know, like, you know, I was like, I freaking remember ET, like in the theater. Yeah, There's no way these yeah. guys saw that in the theater. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, but it's. Uh, well, I mean, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's okay. Let's jump back so, into. This. Yeah, I just no, fell off okay. the. It's this it's, is going to happen several times discussing this because I'm just like exhausted with how freaking genius I think. It I is. know. There's so you kind of just you kind of just stop and marvel. Oh, I can't and even. <laughs> it's that Jodie Foster scene in Contact where she's like, "Should should have sent a poet." She's just like looking at this beautiful like. Thing. <laughs> I uh so so the um you had a couple of things. I mean, do you want to go through? specific story points or specific characters and just call out things that you did like or didn't like? I mean, is there anything you didn't like? Um, how, I mean, because I, I know you have a bunch of kind of story points. I have a bunch of story points. I know um, I was ambivalent at the ending as it was happening. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that was the moment where I went, oh, Taylor and I have to podcast about this as soon as possible. And I'm going to mm. start with the ending. Okay. But, but then today when I was reflecting on it and making our notes, um, I couldn't really pull that ending apart mm. as much as I as much as I thought I would be able to. I think I know one of my issues was uh, when Eleven defeats the uh, the Demogorgon and um, they both just sort of disappear into this cloud of dust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that happens, Joyce and Hopper are still rescuing Will from the other from the Upside Down mm-hmm. and. The next scene, it just cuts to him waking up in the hospital, mm-hmm. and that really frustrated me because this show had done a, a such a good job on the rules of everything, mm-hmm. like how Eleven opened the gate because she released so much energy that it pierced the hole, and I mean that was like Jesus Christ, you have like seriously come up with a physics yeah, explanation yeah. for this. It's not just sort of waved off with like it's magic. Don't worry about it. Sure. Um, so that I really, I really wanted there to be some moment where like Hopper was like, like Joyce, we gotta run, the gate's closing or something. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate as that might have been, or I really thought that like when that hole started, when she was like, you know, right confronting the Demogorgon right there, I thought a hole was gonna open up, and Hopper and Joyce were gonna see it and go, oh my god, and they were gonna jump out of it, and that it was all gonna happen at once, like eleven, yeah. the Demogorgon were gonna disappear into this like extinction level event right as the other three came out of the gate. Yeah. And yeah. that was and you were gonna you know it's gonna seal it up. So that was just a little frustrating technicality. That's I think my only nit to pick, I think. But for me it was such that because it was so banal or because it was so kind of glossed over, it, it sort of reaffirmed the fact that nothing more happened because everybody, you know, we we jump cut because there was nothing interesting to show you. They, you know, they resuscitated him, and then they all walked through the gate. And as far as we know, the gate is still there; it's still active. Exactly. You know, like everything is kind of still as it was, except for Matthew Modine and that other creepy chick aren't running running things over there anymore. Um, 
And well, I know if another frustrating point was I wish I had seen Modine get eaten. As opposed to gore and stuff that I am, and mm -hmm. as much as I know that that was probably a budget-limiting thing, yeah. uh, all we do is see the Demogorgon leap on him, and I thought, man, I just we just need some blood shooting up on the wall or something. Yeah, but at the same time, too, that honors that 80s thing where they don't, you know, they don't give you all those details, right. and I think because it was budget reasons, but also just it kind of lets those kinds of stories or those kinds of sensibilities just let your your own mind fill in the blanks. You know, it's like we don't need to see. And maybe, maybe in the off off chance, it's such that he survived. I hope not. I hope he he should, was, he needs to be just dead. Go he on. needs to be dead because there wasn't. They didn't mythologize him any more than right. that. Right. There wasn't like it wasn't like the Whispers character in Sensei where they're like, this is like the great he's the evil genius and yeah. we're going to give you. It was very straightforward. I mean, even though those characters are very similar, the Whispers character in Sensei, if you watch Sensei, it's a, we, we have never talked about that. No. Um, and, but this character too, very similar. You know, kind of like the the guy you know, kind of mysteriously behind the scenes, kind of responsible for a lot of the the, the antagonistic stuff going on. But in this they kept him pretty like you don't know his background they don't reveal too much about they don't humanize him really that much he's kind of that stock awesome yeah. 80s villain that's just like he he's he's kind of the personification of a bureaucracy or of a system right Ugh, so um, such a good way to say that yeah he is the personification of bureaucracy i think back to the you know the guy in et um, who, it's never clear if it's like Elliot's dad or whoever that the, the dude who shows up, you know, once they take over their house and everything like he's the kind of the main guy, but he taught, he's the only sort of agent or government agent that speaks to Elliot or to his mom. Um, like that guy was very much the Matthew Modine guy, you know, that's that character. And they, they even made him look like the hair and just everything. I was like, I had to look a few times going, God, that is Matthew Modine, isn't it? They really nailed the costume and the look and just the whole the whole thing was just spot damn on. Um, yeah, I mean, and what about Matthew Modine himself? Well, yeah, 80s, 80s star Matthew Modine playing. You know, I wonder how much, I wonder if this is like one of those sort of dark horse kind of moments for him where everybody's like, holy shit, put him in more stuff. You know, like, is, is this going to kind of not relaunch him, but just sort of knock him a few pegs up the totem pole more? Because it's like, wow, he, he really pulled that off. He you know? was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Although I don't know if this is a show you watch, but I believe he is a not definitely not to this extreme, but he is kind of a shitty dude in weeds. Mm. Yeah, that's def that's definitely Matthew Modine. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, so it's kind of like not out of his range to play this guy, but I think this yeah. just gave him such a. And you know what impressed me about the first like three episodes was that guy's not saying a thing. And yeah, terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Like yep. he is. Like you were just like that guy is an asshole and i haven't even heard him say a word yep yep but then yeah. when he had his like you know more i don't want to call them sentimental moments but more father-like moments with 11 um yeah. you know there was you kind of went and you know she called him papa and you're just like for a moment you're like is that really her dad like you, you know yeah. he, he kind of straddled that line where he wasn't just a complete dick but he obviously, you know, his intentions were unclear, but his intentions are those of that organization. It just, it felt very bureaucratic. Like why, you know, it wasn't like he was some criminal mastermind who just, or he was like, he was a product of the system 
who just happened to be who we were interfacing with at this at this point in time. You know, it's like that. And that that again, going back to the 80s, that was such a an 80s, early 80s thing was like systems are here to, you know, control us or mess with us. And like, you know, here are these characters that are these like avatars of these of these systems. So it's not like good versus evil in the traditional sense. It is, you know, this you I'll sum it up this way. It's individuals or small groups of people like families or friends versus bigger, you know, hard to quantify sort of, sort of threats, you know, that. Yeah, absolutely. That is such a great way of putting it. And one of, of course, to me, one of the things I love that anchored it, uh, and I'm just now putting this together with how, with how my comment a minute ago of how they used actual physics to explain like how the superpowers of Eleven like you know, mm-hmm. puncture the hole, and like, like that was that was such a good anchoring in reality. Is that all the stuff that they talk about, like MK Ultra, the the things that they look up mm-hmm. as uh, uh, Modine's character was involved in MK Ultra, this the CIA mind control experiment, and they were floating these subjects, giving them a bunch of drugs, and floating them in uh, uh, sensory deprivation chambers and stuff like that. That's true. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. happened. Yep. There's a program called MK Ultra where the CIA experimented with mind control. Yep. <laughs> That's, yep. Yeah. They and they looped it thing. in. Well, and they timed it just right too. Like the the yeah. mom, a mom, Eleven's mom would have been old enough to have been in that. You know, it, like everything it lined up so, so perfectly. Yeah. And, and then they picked this like random town in Indiana. You know, to to sort of host the the location for all this stuff. And you're like, that's just that. I hate to, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but like that was a very 80s location. Like just everything about it. Can I go through, I'm just going to tick through a couple other things that were yeah. very, very 80s. The cat, I mean, uh, with the exception of Matthew Modine and um, Winona Ryder, who were 80s actors in their own rights, which was kind of yeah. hilarious to then cast them as, as, other than them, I didn't recognize or know anybody else. I think everybody else was either new or was obscure enough career-wise to not really know I don't know about the guy who played Hopper. Maybe he's on some yeah, popular yes, show. Is that David Harbour? Is that his name? It's like I'm it's sure like, I'm gonna get crucified. Harbour, but like you mean. don't know him. He's a you know whatever. Um, well, I had just seen him in Suicide Squad. If I'm not David mistaken. Harbour, or uh, uh, yes, David Harbour, and it's like it's like Harbour, but it's spelled the British way. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, but, he is. Yeah, he's in Suicide Squad. But they cast these people who look like they just came out of an '80s casting call. Like these are all the kids they didn't choose for Goonies, and they're like, hey, "Well, you know what, oh kids, you did kids, you yeah. did great." And but like they look, I mean, they look like '80s. Like the faces and the facial features are things I haven't seen since freaking 1985. And then they, you know, like they let the kids curse. Like I mean, it was I. I bring that up specifically because I was watching Goonies you know, start to finish for the first time, not on TV in years. And I was, I was struck by, I'm like, Oh my God, these guys swear a lot. Like I totally forgot. Oh yeah. That. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, here, these kids are like, you know, they're swearing a lot. I'm like, Oh my God, like the kids are real kids. Like this is what I remember growing up. Like you go off on your bike on these adventures and your parents don't know where you're going. And you know, you, it, it was fine. It was kind of like, it was almost refreshing to see like life without us, you know, without, the internet without mobile phones and just, you know, this is how my friends and I used to play. And I was like, Oh my God, that was just seeing that like executed on screen again. was really fun. Um, and the kids, you know, acted like they knew more than the adults, which is a very eighties thing. You know, it's like, Hey, we, we know where, but they gave Winona Ryder, like she was smart and she was, you know, searching and trying to put this together in her head. So she wasn't just a hapless parent. Um, right. You know, and then that kind of stuff. And then just like the Christmas lights, the fact that they went back and found, this is going to be really technical, but I can tell you definitively, those Christmas lights were 80s era Christmas lights. Because oh, yeah. the, 
the colors I have, yep. I have a strand of Christmas lights that has been with me since I was born. And if for whatever <laughs> reason, it still works. And I still bust it out every year and marvel at the fact that it's 30 odd years later, it's still functioning. But there was a certain hue to those colors that were very late seventies, early eighties that when she hangs up all those Christmas lights, I'm like, Oh my God, that even got the lights correct. Like that's, that's awesome. Um, and then little things like, uh, you know, the way, when they're escaping with L on their bikes and the vans are chasing them and they're, you know, the vans are cutting them off at different, different spots. And just like that threat, like just so many little things, just really, I just smiled so many times. Like this is <laughs> God, they care. Um, the other really cool thing was um, just the, the way that, you know, at the end, the parents, you know, the adult like Hopper and, and um, Winona Ryder went off, but you know, uh, Jonathan and Nancy, and then eventually Steve, you know, they had their part to play. And it wasn't like, you know, they, they independently figured out what to do. And it wasn't like, we need our parents to help us. It's like, we're just going to do it. You know, we're just going to do it and hope everybody else is cool doing what they're going to do. And it wasn't like they had to all sit around and get Ocean's Eleven and talk about it and plan it out. It's like, you go do your thing. We got to help too. You know, that was cool. You haven't seen that for a while. Like all these little story beats and character beats. I, part of that too was I just loved Hopper taking control uh, yes. he did and, like you know the the scene on the bus where the agents descend on the bus yeah um, I, I you know I, I don't really know that I knew that's what was gonna happen at that moment like when mm -hmm. that I, I thought there's a couple ways out for the kids when they're they're on the bus and the agents sort of surround the bus and they see the bikes under the bus and I thought oh they're gonna go hey they ditched their bikes here and they're gonna turn the other direction looking for them I didn't think like they're gonna walk on the bus so when they agent walks on the bus and then he gets knocked out obviously I knew it was Hopper at that moment yeah. but I but the idea of someone going rogue fully like that is another thing that just doesn't happen in movies and TV we get tons of stuff where someone goes you know I got a plan that might work trust yeah, me yeah. Yeah. and they don't tell you what the plan is but then everyone has to go do it it literally just happened in Star Trek Beyond for me yep. last week. Yep. and Hopper was like no I think I know what's going to work, and and he just brings like one person with him, and they just go rogue and do it. Well, and he's like, and he he be, he believed early on. He wasn't like one of those characters walking around going, "I don't know, this seems pretty fishy to me." Like he was, he he. But it was so believable how he came around. Like he was yeah. like so evidence based. And he went. I mean, he he just cut to the chase and freaking went to the facility and broke in. It was like, what the yeah. hell? You know, like he was. It wasn't like one of those things where they had to save the reveal of the gate till the very end. Or it was like, you know, he was yeah. there. Like, and they they tried to silence him once, and that didn't work. You know, Which, was, and honestly, I thought all of that was totally realistic. Like, yes. When yes. he breaks into the facility, I, I like this. This story kept coming back into my head that um, uh, a friend of mine told me who's a, an attorney. Who was telling me about this? Um, he was telling me the story about this other attorney defending a nun who went to protest the Oak Ridge nuclear facility, and mm. she walked past all of their security. Wow! And so they tried to charge her with all these crazy violations of like you know terrorism and stuff like that. And so the the attorney who defended her gave this you know presentation on all this, and and he was explaining like, but the real failure was like their security failed at like every single level. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, like they let an unarmed nun. She didn't break in or anything. Like all yeah. these charges of breaking and entering are just bullshit. Like, so that story was like fresh in my head. I'm like, holy crap! I think that happened in like the 80s or 90s or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so to have a guy just sort of 
you know, in the '80s when we didn't have all this like RFID stuff and like yes, you know, uh, yes. uh, uh, the metal detector at the doorway and things like that. Yeah, he could just walk into a government building. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, that's not unbelievable. It's just unbelievable when you try to put it in like a current context of you can't even like walk into an you know airport without having to stand I in wonder, line and go through something. I wonder how that played for kids born post nine eleven. Right. Like I, I wonder if they looked at that. Like, that was unrealistic. Wonder, do, yeah. Do they look at it and go that? What? Like I mean, because I would imagine every single person, you know, our age or older, would be like would would agree. Would be like, oh my god, that that exactly right like i i really we should get some we should get some youngins in here to like i would i would be love to interview somebody who you know grew up you know was born let's just say 1995 or later who has yeah. no physical connection to the 80s at all um, right do they you know because they would have been six when 9 11 happened so they would have had a, a world context to sort of you know experience the world and after that what would they look at this and just be like kids never you know kids don't play that way and i what like would it just seem like this fantasy world that wouldn't make sense to them or would they recognize or is the movie or is the well, movie is the show so well done all that just logically lines up for them you know like or, that, or god god help us would they be like that's what my parents talked about yeah. and, you and i were like oh jesus christ like yeah. it wasn't even your parents age it was just like four years earlier well and they did and they did this thing too with hopper where they're like you know they allude to the fact that he was in the you know he was a a, a, a pi or whatever it was earlier well only briefly they they mention but they don't make a, a cop in the big city. Yeah, and they don't. But they don't make it stupid. They don't bang you over the head with it. Be like, right. remember, he exactly. was a PI. Like it was just it happens. So when he starts to get more, you know, aggressive with you know the investigation, you don't. It wasn't entirely like, oh well, what you know. And even if they didn't say it, it would still have made sense. But it was one little extra detail that just helped my helped my rationing, you know, ration, rationalizing his character. It, um, I, it that's I like hearing you say that because I didn't really. Uh, to me, when they said that, I worried like, oh no, are we gonna get some backstory about he was this hard drinking cop in the city and yeah. all he could get was a. But they didn't do that. No, it just no. gave you enough context to why he would be so tenacious about investigating these little things that didn't add up. And you know, and to they give other little details like you know he and Winona Ryder had a thing at one point, and like, and then you know, they tie that back in when he has a thing with the librarian too, and you're like, yeah. oh yeah, this guy <laughs> yeah. gets around. And then, but then you like, <laughs> then you find out like why that might be like when they flash back to his daughter, you're like, Oh my yeah. God. Like just all the little oh details. About I know. Him. Talk about character arcs. Like that guy, the way they filled in the details of that guy's life and showed him opening up more and stuff. It yeah. was like, Oh yeah. my God. Like you, I can't believe you've taken the, uh, the heartless cop bureaucrat from an 80s yeah. movie and <laughs> yeah. made him into this guy that I'm like, Oh, I just want to buy you a beer, man. Like you want to see know. a whole show of just him go around solving mysteries yeah. and shit. Like, <laughs> just well, and then like we and then they and they put a big old question mark over his head again when he gets in that car at the very end. Oh and yeah. I, I the it. only thing about the ending that threw me, the only thing, and it wasn't even a bad sort of throw me, but it was like what is when he gets in that car and I thought, oh, he's gone until season two, and we'll find out more later. But then he's back, like but the very back. next scene, he's back. You're like, so he makes what? some deal with them. Like, what the hell? Well, I think he made the deal when he was in the prison, you know, when he and well, he made the deal. He made a deal. And I think the deal was with that woman. He was like, I will, I'll let well, you. Know, yeah, let you. us, let us go. And, and we'll never speak of this, but we've we'll got to rescue this kid out of the upside down. But I think on top of that was, and I will, 
you know, or, or maybe it was just assumed like, Hey, if we get out, if we make it back alive, I have to basically be your, you know, I'm going to work with you guys to help. Or maybe, and maybe, maybe he didn't say that. Maybe it was simply the car rolls up. Cause at that point, Matthew Modine, that other woman, like all of the, the leadership are gone. Um, so maybe the organization was like, right. Hey, you came back alive. We need to debrief you. It could have been as simple as that. You know, it, it could didn't have, have to be. I definitely, it definitely felt sinister. They don't yeah. say a word to him. They just open the door and he knows he's got to get in. Yeah. So I feel like there was another deal. I think he made a deal off screen that we'll see later. Cause remember too, he, um, what did he say? He, well, and it was weird because he basically threw 11 under the bus to get that deal. But then at the end, he's he like leaving, leaving food for her in the little, in the box or, or that's what I'm, I meant to take away yeah. from so like, I, what, I, yeah. what was, what was that about? I mean, you had that what? in the notes. I, I, you know, I was going to ask you, I, um, we're talking about know. the box. The, yeah. The, the, yeah. He goes in the woods. Uh, you know what we, man, I didn't even think about this, but well, no, no, no. We, we're pretty sure that Joyce and Hopper came out the way they went in, which if they went through the gate where they entered, that would be the one that's in the Hawkins laboratory. I have no reason to believe otherwise. And the fact right. they didn't show us, they would not have gone through the tree gate that Nancy went into in the woods, which would be near that box. Correct. But I, I just think there's something uh, significant about him going back into Merkwood and leaving it there. Yeah. You know, like that is the that's the area where he would leave it. You know. Yeah. That's yeah. L's area. But can I can I point out one little thing, and then we should talk about Merkwood and D and D and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Because you and I have talked about this before, so I think we'll find it funny. Which is when he drives up to the facility, and there's like the chain link fence, <clears throat> you know, and he sweet talks his way in with the guard, which I think was amazing. Like, what a use of tact! We never yes, see, yes. we never see small town cops with tact. Yeah, like, he, <laughs> yeah. There was nothing where he just gets out, and it's funny too because there are times where he didn't use any tact; he just punched somebody in the face. <laughs> but. It was it was like perfect. It was like yeah, this guy knows like he's he, you know I mean that was such a it, he wasn't lying to the 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 government agent at all. He was saying I, I got the press hounding me. I got a mayor who's panicked. I got a mother who's torn up. I know the kid's not in there. Give me fifteen minutes. Yeah. And it was like yeah. what a, that is exactly what a local cop needs to say. Yeah. It was so great. But anyway, what I wanted to mention was there when they when they're looking through that gate like through the chain link fence and you just see the sort of you know, uh, like personality free, like, you know, stone building in the background just looks like poured cement. It's like, no, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. architecture or anything. Yeah. I swear it was an homage to Jesse Ventura's first episode of his conspiracy theory show where he's <laughs> yelling at the harp building in Alaska. <laughs> I did not see it. I saw that show. I didn't see that episode. Um, oh, I thought you because when you and I talked about the Denver airport, I thought we also talked about the. We the did, but I, I don't think I saw that episode. I think you just explained it to me, and I need to go back and watch it. But that oh, it's just so funny because he doesn't get it. They don't let him in, so yeah, he's just yeah, there's yeah. just a shot of him outside the chain link fence yelling at it. Give me the answers. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, at this juncture, I wouldn't be surprised of, on any reference or homage they they worked their way in. I mean, I'm I'm sure that I mean, people will be will be combing over the show for years to come, like the like the the um, uh, Shining, 
where they're like, this is what he really meant. Like it has a lot of that. And then a lot of that turns out to be, well, no, he didn't really mean that. But I guess if you want to pretend, sure. Like there's going to be a room, was it 309 or whatever that documentary is about the shining. I feel like that will be, there'll be a stranger, stranger thing version of that as more people like delve into it and, you know, look at the details and like infer stuff that, you know, probably wasn't intentional, but you know, is there a, is there a board game on a shelf in some cutaway shot that was like this right. is a homage to Stanley Kubrick and when he you know blah 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 you know, it's is there is there that level I, I guess we'll never know I uh, uh, in that supercut I saw of references speaking of Kubrick <clears throat> they did a side by side of Joyce uh, swinging the axe at the wall <gasps> and uh, Nicholson swinging the axe in The Shining nice shot wow. from the same angle you know um, but it was, so uh, alongside those those homages or the like the 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 sort of cinematic winks to stuff like that there was uh the language with which they talked like the demogorgon and Merkwood, mm-hmm. um all of that I, 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 how did you feel about it <laughs> well i mean it was i mean kids in the 80s i didn't but a lot of kids in the 80s would play dnd like you know i i remember like in small towns like that especially kids who are nerdy I mean, these, and it was clear right. these kids are, well, wait, I, I was one of those kids, who, but like, it was clear these kids, you know, they were, their, their science teacher really appreciated them. Yeah. Um, you know, he gave God, them that the kind of, teacher was so good. and it was like, and that was like, there were teachers in my school too, who were like, if they recognized initiative or, you know, just yeah. sort of interest in something would let you go into the AV room and just kind of hang out and do whatever yeah. like that. There was a lot of that sort of like. This was a time that I don't know exists for a lot of kids now. It it's was kinda, true. Like kids, we, we didn't have cops at, at school. Nobody came and yeah. shot everybody. Yeah, and they're, I mean, and just the fact that teachers are like, yeah, you guys can hang out in here, and you know, when we get a new piece of gear, it's like you guys got to check this out. And yeah. Um, so where was I going with that though? There was. Well, um, we were talking about. I mean, I brought up the question of like Merkwood and the. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, like the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit references. I mean. Uh, it, it made sense. That would have been yeah. something that would have happened then. But it also, it did this cool trick where now all of a sudden you don't need to know much about the woods. I mean, oh, they call it Merkwood, and it's like exactly. they, they give these little triggers now. You're like, oh, man, like I don't care if I even never see it. Like I know what they're talking about. Yeah. Like they they created a language both visually but also just actual language that really – they didn't have to waste a lot of time. Like they didn't have to be always like sweeping shots of the, of the forest. And like, you know, you, they just yeah. get say, Oh, that's Merkwood. It's like, okay, I know exactly. I, and more importantly, I know how these kids see the world, right? Like oh, I, I can beautiful. see the story through their eyes way more clearly and be in the world through their eyes more so than just a viewer. Like it, they really figured out how to do that quickly. And it was just, you know, God. Yeah. And, and I think it also uh, communicated to, to us and our age in like in that way of like we know what they're I mean it, this is exactly what you said I know but in that way of like we just we could speak that language it was like yeah, a code yeah. a coded yes. language that we knew you know yeah, yeah. I mean when they open the the and d like when he opens his trapper keepers three ring binder he's looking at the freaking Dungeons and Dragons guide that I have in my parents <laughs> house nice like the blue one and uh but the the Merkwood and all that stuff, I'll take you back here. When we talked about the Martian last year, mm-hmm. uh, we both laughed at the cancel, Council of Elrond uh, <laughs> reference that they make in that. And yeah. it was such a funny moment in that movie of, hey, we're all nerds here. Of course, that's what we're going to call it. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I think in this, uh, in Stranger Things, it wasn't 
it wasn't even a joke at the nerds' expense, even if, if it's at their own expense. It, these were not jokes about no. uh, Tolkien exactly. or Dungeons and Dragons. It was the language of the kids, and it yep. was just perfect. Oh, it was just so cool. I like, gave them their own little, yeah, their own little coded language that we can translate because we understand that world, you know? Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, one, a couple other things I want to bring up before if we run out of time or I forget. Uh, Barb. My only other oh, critique man. that I think, if this even could be a critique, is yes, they needed somebody to be pulled through to the upside down and for that person to either die or be seriously injured so we understood the threat of what was there. Like if yeah. that hadn't happened, it would have, I would have had a problem because it would have been like, well, what was really – would Will have even been hurt? So the fact that they show Barb, you know, they show what happens to her, but there wasn't a lot of – you know, Nancy was the only one who really seemed to give a shit. And then even once they pull Will out, there really isn't, they don't, there's not like the funeral for Barb. You know, there isn't like the, you know, like her parents like sobbing or, you know, there, there isn't any of that. Like what, it, you could argue, well, she wasn't that important, but I think she kind of was. I mean, they set her up. They kind of make her this important sort of MacGuffin character that, that you know, gives us a lot of information and sets things in motion. So I would have loved to see just a little bit more like, Oh, and as you know, the school could have like a you know, in or even Will to be like, I'm you know, you know, it's so sad she didn't make it. You know, something, some kind of recognition of her her effort. They could that I agree with that. They could there could have been some mourning at the end as they were wrapping things up. But in their defense, I'll say one of the things I thought was so impressive about the show, which which another thing we forget in sort of contemporary ways that people tell stories, is that they did a really great job of saying. Uh, you know, things like, I'm sorry I was a dick to you yesterday. Yeah, okay. And you really got okay. the, the feeling that, like, this all happened in five days. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, they, but then they do, they do say a month later, right? So it's like they cut to Christmas. Um, but only at the end, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know when they were pulling Will out, I thought, yeah, you know, if, if you haven't eaten for five days, like, that's – it wasn't sort of – there was no magical – aspect to it. It wasn't like he'd been off in space for a month and then he <laughs> yeah, yeah, know, it was yeah. like, no, this kid has just been in some weird other world not being fed for five days. That's true. So yeah, yeah. He, he can survive, but he's in rough shape. Yeah. You know, it wasn't I, I remember when they when they pulled him out and had him in the hospital, it, it was like it was like so realistic to me that no, of course of course they don't pull the tube out of his stomach and he's like, where am I? And he just walks out of yeah. you know, the upside down with him. It's like, no, this kid has not eaten. Yeah, um, yeah, like he's got to be in the hospital just not <laughs> to be exactly, dehydrated. It's exactly know? what it would have been. Like, well, mom, I'm so glad to see you. And it's like, yeah, I know that's like any movie <laughs> that would have happened. Like they, you know, they pull him out of the rubble and like the demon corpses around him, and he's like, oh, thank God you made it. And like, yeah, yeah. Let me get on my there, scooter. And <laughs> again, it was a very 70s, 80s thing for there to be stakes and and real yeah, stakes and stakes. real shit happens to real people. Like that's all you know. And again, it, that should be the lesson people take away from this. Not oh, everybody loves the 80s. Let's just do that. Right. It's like right. no, 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 no. Real kids, real, real stuff happening to real characters on real, like that's yeah. the point. Real here. stakes, real character arcs, real growth. Set that <laughs> and you in. You can put it in any era. <laughs> put that on the moon in the in the year three thousand, and it would be compelling. Like, don't think this is. You are exactly right. You don't think that's what this is. Why? Like, you know, and my guess is the first thing that's going to happen in light of this is. Is it NBC who owned the rights to Erie, Indiana? They're going to reboot that shit. 
just you wait. Just you wait. We're going to see, like, for the midseason replacement, like, the NBC will be like, we're bringing back Erie, Indiana. And it's like, oh, God. And, like, that's going to be the lesson that's learned. And, and you know, maybe it will be okay, but it's uh. – um, I and mean, I love that show at the time. Don't get me wrong, but like it does not need to. That's not the answer here. That's not the solution. It, it shouldn't be a shock, given that most of my my weekend revolved around uh, Stranger Things. It should not be a shock to me that I have heard Erie, Indiana mentioned twice in yeah. three days. Yeah, I mean, there's there's there are <laughs> parallels. Me, you know, it's there are parallels. So, so weird to me that uh, that 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 name would come back. I would say. The show I would I've say not thought about in a long time. Indiana is is the OG version of Stranger Things in that it came in like what ninety ninety one, and it was kind of the first show to go look back and deliberately, you know, you know, kind of show you some of that eighties seventies eighties stuff that you loved in a show. I think I, I would be surprised if if we were to do a podcast then a lot of the same kind of themes and stuff we'd be talking about. Although it was not, I'm not saying they're the same kind of show, but it, you know, very, a lot of the stylistic stuff they were doing was, was very homage if you will. Um, <laughs> I would say, I would say the other thing that, that was interesting to me was, was Steve. So you have this like oh cliche eighties, 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 you know, villain boyfriend who then does this really unexpected turnaround. Like at, like I didn't, I did not see, you know, the, the, the villain boyfriend from Goonies didn't have a change of heart, you know, and like there's not that they, they were really setting this up to be he's an asshole. He's one dimensional. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to see him again after he gets the shit beat out of him. And then she's going to end up with Jonathan. And then yeah. that didn't happen. You're like, oh, my God, this that. Wow. Another Very great argument for why the 80s. You, they can't just redo the 80s to capitalize yes. on this. Yes. Because in the 80s, that guy was two dimensional. You know, yeah, yeah. and in this show, he had growth. <laughs> yes, he had a lot of growth. He had, like, he had a character arc, and, um, end, and it was totally believable. And we we liked him all the more for it. Like, and to uh, the point where, well, at the end, when he's, you know, when Nancy kisses Jonathan, but then goes back in and sits beside Steve, you're like, oh, you weren't like what? I mean, it made exactly sense. Was, human yeah and, and you're like well of course a month later this is probably what would have happened like he yeah. you know he decided to not be a total ad like if anything his friends remain the one it's almost like he passed it on to them and they remain the one-dimensional 80s villain you know high schoolers <laughs> and he you know he went on a different journey it was kind of like okay <clears throat> I, uh, you know and it was I, there's a I, we'll have to put this in the show notes too there's this awesome youtuber who did a short video on how uh, Daniel is the real bully in Karate Kid. <laughs> and the dude is right on. Wow. Like, it's like, Cobra Kai doesn't throw the first punch. Yeah. Like, they, they bully the kid a little bit, but he's the one that starts fucking things. Like, Daniel is the one that goes and, like, I don't remember what he does. He smashes their beatbox or something on the beach. or He, he does something to him on their, like, little beach cookout because like, these guys are mean. And it's like... Man, those, you know, because I, I tweeted something last night when I was watching about the, the there's a standoff between Steve and uh, the other guy in his gang. Yeah. And I tweeted something about the Cobra Kai in this, like, standoff really, you know, was like one of the best things. Because you see in that moment of, like, Steve going, like, man, I was a super asshole to her. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, and even that scene in between where he goes to clean the paint off of the theater is like, Man, that guy just grew up like yeah. in a serious way. It was, that was so great. I'm so I, I could not believe that he was not eaten by the the demigorgon, but 
Um, but I'm glad he wasn't because yes, that would have almost yes. been a throwaway if he had shown up at the house and then been the one killed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I'm glad they went that way. Are you saying, by the way, that Daniel is the Walter White of Karate Kid? Is that really <laughs> is, is Karate Kid just an early OG version of Breaking Bad? Because I make the same argument. You you look at every interaction in Breaking Bad, with the exception of maybe Tuco. Um, you know, after Tuco on, everything that happens is Walt's like fault. Like Gus Fring is a is an okay guy until Walt starts fucking fucking with his shit. And like, you know, he he's the reason Walt is the reason everything goes so horribly wrong because like he just can't leave it alone. And I'm like, as you're describing Daniel, I'm like, oh my god, I need to go back and I need to revisit Karate Kid. That might I might look at yeah. it in a whole different light now. Um, it, it's, it's it's amazing. I'll, I'll we'll put that link in the show notes for sure. One other big thing I want to get at, and then I'm and I think that will be the end of my list. Let's wrap it, yeah. And it's the it's the most important kind of takeaway from this. This this story is multifaceted. It's wonderful. It's Gally's character arcs. But what they did that I never saw coming. That after the after they did it, I was like, you clever bastards. They totally pulled a bridge to Terambithia on us. And if you know that story, Bridget Terambithia is this one of my favorite stories of all time. The original 80s, you know, kind of crappy 80s movie I still like, the the remake I liked even though it was more, you know, fantastical. It's a story about this this boy kind of this, you know, very similar to Mike in Stranger Things who meets this girl who like kind of expands his perception about life and really makes him love life and you know, she's she, you know, they go and she, she makes him like use his imagination and see things in this wonderful way. And then she, spoilers, is she dies in Bridge of Terambithia. She's taken away, and he has to go and figure out how to live without his best friend. And this this girl who's like showing him everything. And it wasn't like romantic, sexualized kind of stuff. It was more like just a a, a young, you know, little boy and a little girl who become friends. And like, it's this amazing story. Stranger Things totally does that. The Mike L relationship is that. This boy meets this girl and it's like, and they, they have a little bit, you know, they, there's like a little kiss they share and stuff, but like, it's basically like this girl, like makes this boy see life in this whole new way. And he, you know, impacts her too. And then she's suddenly gone. And like, how does he have to like, I'm like you, oh, I can't. And you can almost think the whole show is almost about that relationship at the end of the day. Yeah. They're trying to find Will. Yeah. They're trying to do all these other things, but that relationship is the story. You know, like that, especially for season one, like you look at that arc, I, I was, when I, when that clicked in my head, I just was like, oh, you, I almost cried. I'm like, you guys totally. I almost cried a couple times in this. You, you've set up my final point perfectly, which is, I'll tell you why this whole thing works, Taylor. It's because it's a, it's about love. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) These, those boys learn like the oh my god i'm gonna i'm like gonna tear up just talking about it they figure out friendship and love Mm -hmm. in that little four or five day adventure yeah Um, when lucas goes and apologizes to 11 yeah like that my heart breaks just thinking about that yeah it's true all the little stuff when they're mean to 11 but then mike still like you know he's like I know I'm just it's I'm just being temporarily mean to you. I'm just yeah, angry in the yeah. moment. It's like these kids were more grown up than you know grown ups we see on television these days. Yeah. And then the way that like Nancy's mom, like you know Nancy does that that great '80s you know girl uh rebe- you know re- rebellious girl thing of like throwing in her mom's face like I slept with him. You know is that what you want to know? But then it's like. Two days later, her mom is like, oh, my God, my daughter has been through some scary shit. Yeah. 
he yeah. forgives her and she loves her. And that moment in the school where Eleven is like destroying the demigorgon and the kids realize that she, that's it. Like, yeah. she, right even before she says goodbye, Mike. Like just watching those boys, like their hearts break. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and of course, Joyce through the whole thing is just driven by her love for her son. Yeah. And Hopper for his daughter. Well, and you oh, even. Uh, I mean, I could I'll, just keep going on. This I'll thing was about love. That that sentiment is the reason. Was it episode two or episode three where Peter Gabriel's cover of Heroes played? Oh my god! And Jonathan and Joyce had that. You know, they they embraced. That was the that first thing. one where I was about to start crying. I mean, that's that was really when Jonathan and his mom like kind of reconnected in a way that we've never seen before. And it was like, that's the use of that song. And the only reason I know it's Peter Gabriel is because he did a whole album of covers that were like symphonic covers um, called uh, scratch my back. And I think the, uh, the artist who he covered then did their own album called and I'll scratch yours where they covered Peter Gabriel's song. So David Bowie does, I forget which song of Peter Gabriel um, and, on, and on and on. It was a really cool kind of concept, but that was the fact that they had an eighties artist singing another eighties artist song with a modern so like that whole moment really was that that if you're gonna pick one moment out of this entire show that's like why does the show work it's that ending sequence that was just so amazing on every level and you're right it that was that whole sequence was about love and the discovery of love and how it forwards these characters like that was that's yeah. exactly you nailed it you I, and, and that's why we care about them the, all yes. their motivations yes. are totally pure nobody yep. is being a hero to be a hero nobody is necessarily like the even the bad guy like he doesn't have just some vague bad plan yeah you know? i mean like you pointed out he's he's that character of the faceless bureaucracy but even then it's not like a like what we see in modern day storytelling where there's just like an evil guy at the top of the bureaucracy or corporation it's like no, there was kind of a mission here, and you know he's tender with Eleven when he yeah. You know, uh, I'm gonna he say holds her head in his hands, and I think there was a real relationship there. I mean, he he, he seems kind of like a psychopath or something, but it was you know there were moments where you're like, ah, oh, you know, it's there's something here, but just that theme of like everyone's motivation and everyone's drive. Yeah, I'll was, argue that Brenner. Love. I'll argue that Brenner was was proud of Eleven, like he was proud oh, yeah. of what oh, she was yeah. able to do, which is why he kept pushing Honestly, her. He's like. You know, almost everything, everything he said to her was incredible. You know, yeah, I mean, and yeah. I know, I know there's a, you know, I know what he means, but he, it is praise, you yeah. know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to give him more credit for like, oh, the abusive dad said some nice things. He's like a Japanese like, tiger mom gone wrong, gone wrong, right? <laughs> he's got like, he's like that, you know, strict, like you're going to succeed and achieve. But then when like the kid does, he's like very, he's intensely proud of her. You know, he's like. And granted, you know, his, his motives for her might be completely, completely off, you know, in some other, who knows, are they creating a super soldier? What are they doing? But, yeah. you know, in the meantime, like, and even when he's like, you know, today's the day you're going to make contact. He's like, I'll be right here. You know, he tells her a lot of the same things Joyce tells her yeah. when they put her in the makeshift, uh, the makeshift pool later on. Well, and not, and not to humanize him too much because I do, I do, I just love the portrayal of him. But mm -hmm. you've you've reminded me of something, which is I think their their motivations, the the researchers' motivations, came from something very impure. Like mm -hmm. let's let's figure out how to mind control people. Let's yeah. figure out how to have them control other people's minds. Let's have them figure out how to spy on our enemies. Let's have them figure out how to kill our enemies. And yeah. then something happens where he realizes Eleven has literally ripped a hole in the dimension, and yeah. he almost approaches it like a scientist. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, going, yeah. And 
and at that point, he's not totally in. I mean, granted, they only have like two adventures in it before stuff really gets fucking crazy. But they, when he before she rips the hole, before she creates a gate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one of them is she goes up to this Russian and is able to to talk, you know to hear him talking, and they're able to get some spy secrets. But then once they realize there's this creature there, the demigorgon. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's more of like a scientific mi- mission. At least I, a little bit of that. No, I, I, mean, that, I don't, don't want to give him too thing. much credit. But he did feel like, no, we've got to explore this. You go touch the creature. Like, yeah. you're the one that can make contact. And that's when everything goes crazy. But I don't think at that moment he was necessarily thinking of her as a weapon. He was, no, he was like, it was an inquisitive kind of thing. Yeah. Can I, yeah. I'm going to point out one other reference because I think it's so worth noting. Uh, and I, I forgot about it earlier, which is the second chapter is called The Weirdo on Maple Street. And I never figured out if there was actually a Maple Street in this, hmm. but there is an old Twilight Zone episode. It might even be season one called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Mm-hmm. And you just go watch that. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Like, And I'm sure that this is a, that that's an intentional reference. Interesting. So Interesting. Yeah. Um, I think... I mean, we could go on from the. I know we could. <laughs> you were like when I so when I texted Taylor about this today, I was like, "Hey, how about we not talk about Suicide Squad and Star Trek? And we just do Stranger Things." And Taylor's response was like, "I can talk about that for hours." <laughs> yeah, there was no way we're gonna cover anything else. Um, I, you know, I think to you, you summed it up perfectly in terms of why it works, and just like, and it's one of those shows where you know we. I feel like we'd be doing it a disservice to get into any more specific, you know, storylines or anything. Cause it's just like, you just got to experience it. You just got to go watch it and experience it. And I, you know, let's talk about season two. There's obviously going to be one. This was, I think other yeah, than how know that for sure. Oh God, this is by all accounts. This is either the most popular thing they've ever released or in the top three with like season one of house of cards and you know, whatever, um, it's definitely the most popular thing they've released in like the last two years. Um, so it's, I, that there wouldn't be a season two would be shocking. It may be, you know, maybe a year or two before we get one. Yeah. Um, they ended it in such a way that I, you know, normally I like to play that game. Like, well, what will season two be? And I, you know, put out, you know, put the outline in my head and try to figure out how they'll move the pieces around. I have, I have two theories um, based on what we saw theory one. And you look at the title of the show. It's not, oh, these things happen to these people in Indiana. It's Stranger Things. What's the other thing that the 80s was really good at? Uh, it was this anthology way of storytelling. Like, what was uh, Am- Amazing Stories? Wasn't that Spielberg's other thing that came out? Um, like, like, what if season two happens to an entirely different group of people in an entirely different part of the country? And at some point maybe will or hopper interact with that other group to tie it together. Cause it's going to have to tie together at some point, but maybe the upside down is infecting another part of the country and we get to see a whole other group of, of stories. Yeah. Um, like, and they do that two or three more times. And then, you know, various characters from various seasons all unite somehow, or it's, it, we see how they all impact each other. I'm um, so glad you mentioned that anthology thing because I, I literally said that to a coworker today. Like I, I don't necessarily want it to pick up where this one left off. I, I yeah. almost want them to just tell a different Stranger Thing. Yeah, yeah. And and exactly what you said. Maybe it ties into this. Yeah. Um, you know, and I didn't see uh, the the uh, Cloverfield 
the ten Cloverfield Lane or whatever. So I, I don't really know, but but maybe that I you know I I, I was initially uh, felt pretty positive about like oh yeah let's set something else in that universe. Yeah. But it's not necessarily like a sequel. Ten Cloverfield so. Lane is less in universe than it is. Oh, there's there is thematically connective tissue, but it's oh, gotcha. I, having seen it, I I can't. I could not say how they would make those two movies somehow sequentially match it. Like, I think it's just more, Hey, this is, you know, like yeah. a, a Stephen King book. I mean, like some, in some dark tower like way, I'm sure you can make them connect, but I'm thinking like stranger things season two is maybe like two years later. And it's in another, you know, another part of the country. I just, I feel like that's, that's where this would go because I don't see, yeah. I just don't see what you do. I mean, they got rid of Matthew Modine. They got rid of that one. If that woman had well, lived, I would have been like, you know, his, oh, his, yeah. hench, his henchwoman. I would have been like, well, clearly there's more tissue here. But I just don't see the, – the only thing that we have to see more of is, I mean, in my mind, Mike and Elle have to reunite somehow. Um, but and, does that kind of spoil it if, if Eleven is still out there? I mean – Yes. I, th I think I, she, I liked her being the state. I didn't want her by any means to, to die or disappear or anything. But – I felt like, well, that's the sacrifice that has to be made. It's what not... if we, what if we flash? But the fact that he's leaving, Hopper's leaving food for what I assume is her yeah. at the very end. Oh, what yeah. if we flash forward like three or four years, and she's got a full head of hair, and she's like in her late teens or what, or mid teens or whatever, and she's like just this homeless girl on the run who can do cool things and knows, you know, her, you know, she's, she's got more vocabulary, and she's just like this older girl now who can like do and like we find we follow her on this like journeyman story for a while you oh know my god what if uh, she is furiosa yeah yeah <laughs> there's there's so many things to do and like I, I just feel like that would be the most satisfying way they go with it if they keep it in this world with these kids i just don't i feel like will's involvement is much more sinister than i think we think now if, if they're going to keep it in this world, he's got to be, you know, through either his, you know, some kind of mind control or just like, you know, I mean, why is he hiding these slugs from his mom? Right. Assuming that he's coughing these up more than, more than once. Like what is, yeah. what is happening? Is he like the new avatar for the, you know, the, the upside down to like invade our world? Right. Like, is he yeah. some kind of like, and is that, are we going to follow that? And, you know, he's Bishop I, man. Yeah, is is there something more there? And then he's I come to, back with the alien inside him. Yeah, seriously, like is that? And then you know, because like we didn't see, you know, this wasn't Will's story, right? Right. Season one, like he, yeah, it was all about getting him back, but it wasn't his story. It was my, it was basically Mike's story, Mike, and then you know Nancy and her friends. Um, so it's like, what do you do with him in season two? You know, he was kind of one-dimensional. You build him out a little bit more, maybe, but you make him kind of the – he's the cause of everything going wrong. And then the, the question becomes, does he go back to the upside down? Is he not – is he is he only temporarily savable, you know? Is there – you know, explore that a little bit more. But I, I really, really hope they start season two in a different place, different people, you know, five years later or whatever you want to, whatever you want to do. I just think that's that, – that, that homages that sensibility – it calls yeah. out, you know, all those cool, you know, is it amazing stories or amazing? Is, is that the Spielberg thing that he did? Amazing stories. I, I, that's the one that sounds familiar. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't go look it up after you said that, but no, that's, it is. That is, it what, is amazing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that was like a series. And honestly, I thought 
when I first heard about Stranger Things, I thought that's what they were going to do, where every episode was going to be kind of a different, a different deal. Um, so the fact that they didn't do that makes me go, well, maybe every season will be a different deal. I, I, I love these actors, but I want to see, uh, you know, let's see what else, what other actors can do. You know, like, let's see what other, when we expand that world, what we can get. Like, I just don't know what you do with Winona Ryder after this. She, she gave her all, right? Like, what else do you give her to do? That's just not a repeat of what she did in season one. I, I agree. And that's totally my, that's why I just hope they're not, it's not like a sequel to it because it's sort of, especially, for, I mean, for nobody else, like Joyce went through so much. Like, I don't yeah. want to see her get torn apart like that again. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was or, just. Or like, we don't need to see like Nancy's mom go through the same thing. Like, it's not, you know, it's just, we don't need that. Um, like, is there a Donnie, like, is there like a Donnie Darko story that can be season two? Like, that's. That's you know what we can hope for. Like it starts and basically shows us Donnie Darko, where it's like, what the you know what? And maybe there's like a kid, you know, or some kind of connective tissue. I I do think the way Elle disappears, she's got to come back in some way, shape, or form. So that's the only thing I can. That's the only thing I can think of. Uh, I I definitely think the you know the 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 Eggo waffles were there to give us hope. There's a reason that they were, you know in clear cellophane and not <laughs> mm-hmm. there was like a box of something that he put in there and then these, these waffles. So obviously there was some, and maybe it was just a, maybe he was just being a, a sensitive guy. I don't know, but it was, that box was interesting. Yeah. So. Anyway, let's wrap it up. I think that's everything we could say. <laughs> yeah. Time and I realized that I, I made a reference to Bishop uh, thinking of the uh, aliens character that came back with uh, the alien inside him. Uh, I don't think I named the right character. That's because I'm a poor Alien fanboy and have not watched it lately. Well, I didn't, I didn't so. call it, call you on it, so I'm just. I know, but I, I got, we got to explain this. We can't stem the tide of angry comments that come my way. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Fair so, enough. <laughs> anyway, where can people find you and us? Yeah, so we are online in all kinds of places and soon to be more places. Currently, ToddAndTaylor.com. Uh, find us on SoundCloud. Find us on iTunes, Pocket Cast, wherever you want to get your podcast. Google Play. Google Play, everything. Yeah. We've got more more domains and more cool stuff coming soon. Um, it, yeah, it would totally help us out for you to subscribe to yes. us on one of those uh, channels, whether Definitely. it's through your um, yeah Pocket Cast or Stitcher or uh, Podbean or any of these other podcast listening things, or if you just go straight to the source of SoundCloud, which we have been told by friends and fans that is their favorite way to listen to us. Yep. Um, you can find all, all of this. Just go to toddandtaylor.com and you'll find links to SoundCloud. Um, yeah, subscribe to us there. Uh, I had I had I had a further thing to say about the spread. Oh, which is uh, feel free to comment on these episodes because yeah, they're please. all on SoundCloud and I've noticed that we from time to time get like a one-off kind of comment but uh, that's definitely I think the place where discussion can can happen yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah if you want to call me out for private. naming the wrong aliens character or something I always get private messages or texts or stuff it's like put those out of the world for the world to see challenge us agree right, with us right. whatever you want to say yeah for a while we were putting these on on my blog and then uh, and then we sort of transitioned once we got the feeds up and running it's like dude it's all on iTunes Google Play and all that stuff so uh, SoundCloud I think is the home of comments if you want to make it so anyway so plug plug yourself that's right and I am uh, at Taylor Trask on Twitter and I am at Hey Todd A on Twitter and um, yeah you can also continue the discussion with us on Twitter that's where we uh, where we talk about stuff and talk to each other about these episodes. (laughs) 
That's so, right. Chime in. Tag us if you if you don't even know us. Tag us. We'll tag you back. We'll you know let's let's chat about this and more. And if you wanna if you wanna hear more episodes like this where we cover a show or a movie, let us know. Like you know, give us suggestions. Oh yeah, always- that's a good idea. Yeah, we would love to hear uh, what we should do next. Um, we don't even know, so we can't tease it. But we know we've got more cool stuff coming. Um, so join us next time. That's right. We'll see you guys later. Later. <laughs>